You're listening to the Beaver Tales podcast, which features exclusive interviews with former Oregon State student athletes. We talk about what they did at OSU, what the transition was like away from college athletics, and what they're passionate about now. Here's a little taste of what's coming up on this episode. How uncertain everything was looking back it's kind of almost like you're going wow amidst all of that like that wasn't the smart choice per se but indeed it was the best choice and it was i was so grateful for it this is the beaver tales podcast with josh wharton who has covered oregon state athletics since 2013 well, how about a current Major League Baseball player for episode 100 of the Beaver Tales podcast? Hi again, everybody. I'm Josh Ward, and thanks for joining me. Matt Boyd does reach the century mark for us. It's been an honor to talk with a hundred different Oregon State student athletes, coaches, the different guests I've had, and I wanted someone special for episode 100. And Matt Boyd came to mind as a guy who's done so much athletically and beyond athletics. You may know him as an Oregon State baseball player. You may also know him from Kingdom Home, which if you've heard this podcast a number of times, you've probably heard me talk about Kingdom Home, a charity that Matt and his wife Ashley started a couple of years ago based in Uganda, helping kids escape the sex slave industry, usually through prevention. And so we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of our conversation. Also, Matt was a standout baseball player at Oregon State was a pitcher and a field player two-way for part of his career from 2010 to 2013, went on to a pro career, and currently the ace on the Detroit Tigers staff. In fact, was in the top 10 in the major leagues in strikeouts in 2019. Had a rougher year in 2020, was injured uh, throughout that year, and uh, hoping for kind of a bounce-back year in 2021. Real excited about this season, so we'll chat all about the Detroit Tigers and memories from Oregon State and some pretty interesting themes that have played out in his career of things that he did not expect to happen but turned out uh, in retrospect to have a much different impact on his life than he anticipated. So some good stories with Matt Boyd. So let's get right to it. Here is former Oregon State pitcher, current Detroit Tiger, Kingdom Home organizer and a husband and father. Here is Matt Boyd. Matt Boyd joins me today. Matt, how you doing today? I'm good. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. Well, first of all, a couple days late, but happy birthday, big three zero for you. How'd you, how'd you, you. celebrate? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, my, my wife knocked it out of the park. She she threw an awesome little get-together here, um, an amazing dinner. It was really, really special, so it was it was fun. That's great. Well, let's jump in because there's, there's tons of questions I got for you. Hopefully, as we look ahead to 2021, you know, hopefully starting April 1st, you're going to spring training a couple days from now in Florida. Um, looking back at the 2020 season, um, back when that season was about to start and you're in the off season of the, do we play? Do we not play? Some players are opting out. You don't even know if you're going to have the season. I remember hearing you talk about, you know, wanting to play, even though you like growing up, you had asthma, you were hospitalized a lot. Like you even said that Seattle Children's Hospital saved your life. And so looking back on that whole 2020 season, how often were you conflicted? Was it easy to choose to play? I mean, how did that whole process go for you? Yeah, you know, I I speak for myself because I, I, I know everyone was called differently, and there's no judgment on those guys who, who, who opted out for whatever reason. Um, you know, we're all called individually and in that. So um, for me, I uh, my calling is to play baseball, and I felt like I was 
I was, uh, I would have been really not answering that call if I would have opted out, out of, and this is again, personal reasons, nothing, this is no judgment on anybody else, but a fear of getting sick. Um, I thought the protocols that were in place were probably as best as it's going to get, but at that same time, um, I had to go do what I had to go do. And that's that for me, that's, that was that call. Uh, and, and that was to go, you know, toe the line and go and go play ball. And it's not, I wasn't going to war or anything like that. And I'm trying to make it sound over dramatic, but, um, my call is to play baseball. And, uh, it was, it was a hard choice. There were definitely times where I, I thought about it, um, leading up to it, but it, once I was all in, I was all in and it was, it was, it was solid. Yeah. As far as this off season and looking forward to 2021, how are you feeling about this upcoming season? I'm, well, on an individual level, I'm really excited. Um, uh, it's there's we put in a lot of work. I uh, was kind of banged up this last season, and I don't really talking like talking about the individual before the team. Um, it's kind of eating at my core, but I'm just I'm I'm, I'm truly excited uh, from uh, the kind of the stuff the the gains that we've made since like September 27th of uh, 2000. You know, 20. Um, I had some hamstring issues and some foot issues. My whole left leg were. They were all intertwined, all the issues. I was able to still pitch with them, and that was awesome. But um, it affected the way I pitched. And uh, with that, we went into the offseason with the focus of strengthening that, making um, that foundation stronger, understanding um, what happened, the fluke incident, and getting, you know, where, you know, I hurt my hamstring, but then understanding the compensations that kind of came from that so that we can um, – better attack that if something like this happens in the, in the past or in the future, I mean. Um, and then we did some really cool, innovative stuff in, in our strength training that uh, I, I've, I've never felt stronger in my life um, in terms of just uh, the numbers that we were putting up. I mean, being able to, you know, doing, doing some crazy stuff that uh, only some other guys in my weight room have done. Uh, you know, I'm always looking at them move that kind of weight, and I was able to move that weight this year, and it's going, man, this is really, really exciting. And, uh and then on the pitching side of things, we um, having just such clear guidance and um, seeing how uh, my metrics changed from 2019, mostly because of the foundation that I was pitching on wasn't the same foundation. It was it was soft. I, I kind of built a house on sand with that hamstring thing going on. So then it was like, okay, I've built all these habits over these last four months. How can I train? What am I shooting for now? And then it was um, kind of just taking a fresh piece of clay because just – on the naked eye, it looks the same, but on the metrics, things were so much different. So then it was like, okay, let's dive into this. And, um, really got excited with how, what it is now after all these months of putting up, putting in this work and just the reps that we were getting in. And so that was really cool. You know, having some awesome guidance from our new pitching coach and Chris Fetter. That was, uh, he's from University of Michigan. He actually pitched in Corvallis in the Super Regional way back in, uh, way back when, and the Beavs knocked them out. Um, kind of fun little tie, but he's our new pitching coach. He's, um, He's versed in the analytics. He pitched um, in professional baseball. He's been on the player development side of professional baseball. He was on the college side of the University of Michigan. So he's got this well-rounded uh, idea of a pitching coach, and it's it's so cool to get to work with him already, not even in person, but just over the over the phone and, and text and whatnot. So the individual side of me, I'm really excited. And what we can do as a team, I'm really excited about. With our new coaching staff, it's, it's going to be a, a new – a different tone. Um, I'm really excited to, to play for AJ, um, to uh, do all I can to, to bring a title to Detroit and, and just be what I need to be for this team. Um, 
it's really exciting to see the talent that we brought in and Ramos and Grossman and Urena and, um, you know, I'm sure there's a few other guys that are going to be coming in here too soon. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, couple that with the talent that we already have that continues to grow, continues to mature. Um, we're underrated. And, uh, I think having, um, AJ at the helm is, is going to be, it's going to be different from Gardy. I love Gardy. He grew, he, I grew so much under him. Um, and he really mentored me in so many ways, but, uh, it's going to be cool to have, um, just, you know, another new voice. And, uh, um, you know, it's exciting knowing what AJ is coming from, a, coming from, you know, a championship in Houston, coming from, um, uh, a team that really kind of, he raised up from the area that we're at right now currently. So, uh, I'm really excited for what this year has to come. Looking forward to this season, you're playing in the AL Central, obviously, with the Detroit Tigers. In the same division, being the Chicago White Sox, you potentially will be seeing Nick Madrigal a whole lot in, in the coming years. How do you feel about some beaver-on-beaver beaver action in the AL Central in the near future? Uh, it's uh, it's going to be pretty cool. You know, it's uh, Nick's a hard out. Um, you know, I, I was lined up to face them, and something happened where I got pushed back a day, and uh, um, I ended up missing them. And then when I did face them, he was on the DL. Uh, but, um, you know, it's uh, he's a good hitter. He's a complete hitter. You know, he uh, doesn't really hit for power, but he knows how to put the ball in play. Um, and those are the guys, those are the Whit Merrifields of the world, kind of that, that kind of, you know, want to want to peg them up. You know, what's what's an amazing big leaguer, and he's, he's had an amazing career, but that's the kind of guy that's, they don't want to give up and out at the plate. They want to put the bat on the ball. They're going to lay down a butt. They're going to steal second or steal third or turn a double or a walk into a single or a double. You know what I mean? Turn a, a walk into a double. Those kind of guys, it's going to be fun to play him. They got Jace Fry there too, so that's exciting too. Yeah, a couple of Oregon State guys. Speaking of players in 2018, I was talking with Michael Gretler a while back, and Michael being another Seattle area guy, Bonnie Lake, um, you're, you're from Mercer Island. Um, you didn't overlap with Michael. He came in a, a year, there's one year in between. He came in 2015, you finished in 13. But I'm curious if you might have a similar answer to one area in particular. He was talking about he first decided he wanted to play college baseball in the mid-2000s. He was in middle school at the time, and that's when Oregon State won the, the College World Series 06-07. You were 15, 16 years old at the time, early high school days for you. I don't know how much college baseball you were watching at that point, if you were following Oregon State a lot. How much did those national championships play a role in you realizing, hey, I want to play big-time baseball. I can do that right here in the Northwest. I can go to Oregon State. I don't have to go down to an SEC school, that sort of thing. What are your memories of that whole uh, playing a role in, in your decision? I mean, it's vivid. I remember where I was in uh, in, in 2006. We were, at the, uh, we were at the Junior Olympics, and uh, I remember sitting in our hotel room in Arizona watching the Beavs do it. And, um, watching the college world series on ESPN in between our own games and just being like sitting with all my like buddies from the Seattle area, you know, Mercer Island, Bellevue, Seattle, everywhere in between and being like, these are Northwest guys. And I, I knew I wanted to play college baseball. I believed I was good enough, but then it was like, man, that's, that's those are Northwest guys doing it. And you know, the Northwest just doesn't get a good rap in terms of professional baseball. It's starting to, but it's, um, you know, people, it's overlooked by the other hotbeds, you know, the, the geographic areas of Florida, Texas, California, and, uh, Arizona, you know, these, it's like, well, yeah, we don't get to play year round, but there is really awesome baseball players up here and guys that are, that are 
you know, they're hard nosed. So it's, uh, it, I remember that. And then it was like, I want to play there. I just I remember watching those guys going, I want to play there. And, uh, wouldn't you know it, you know, that next year, um, that fall, uh, Dan Spencer at the time, um, started recruiting me and it was like, this is a dream come true. I, I knew what I wanted to do. It was either that or UW. And UW told me I wasn't, uh, I was their third option. Uh, when it came down to it, I remember, and, uh, my parents went to UW. I grew up right down the street from UW. I, I, they would have offered anything. I probably would have gone there, but it was God's timing that they, that was, you know, they had a few guys ahead of me. Um, guys that were my good friends, James Robbins and Eric Peterson. I was playing first base at the time too. And, uh, and, uh, you know, Dan Spencer left for Texas Tech and then Pat Bailey came in and kind of stepped in where he left off and offered me a scholarship and it was a done deal right then. I was ready to do it. So it was, uh, that, those teams were in, instrumental in getting me there. Uh, Spence and Bales teaming up for you. That's, that's a fun, uh, memory to get you to Corvallis. There's, there's two stretches of your career, one at Oregon State and then one in your pro career that I want to ask about. And then we'll finish with some, with some, uh, you know, conversation about Kingdom Home and everything that you and Ashley are involved with. Um, the first one going back to Oregon State. After the 2012 season, uh, which would have been your junior year, you got drafted that year, 13th round, and I'm not sure exactly what your your expectations would have been or what you needed to pull you away from Oregon State, but I'm sure at least part of you was ready to go pro and ready to move on. You'd spent three years in Corvallis and you know developed a pretty good repertoire already at that point, but you ultimately didn't leave. You went back to Oregon State. What happened in that 2012 decision to say, all right, this isn't good enough. I'm going to go back, even if I was ready and wanted to go. Take me back to that point. What kind of happened next? Yeah, um, you know, I was I was not uh, at a. I thought I was pretty mature, but in that, usually, if you think you're mature, you're not very mature in that sense. And uh, um, it was an up and down year. I mean, it still was a good year statistically, but compared to my first two years, it wasn't the best. And um, I had a few outings in the middle of the year, uh, one against Stanford where I came in and walked a guy. And then I think a week or two later, we went to Reno. I gave up three runs in back-to-back games, and I started watching my opportunities start to drop. Um, and being a stubborn uh, junior in college, thinking that the world revolved around me, I was, you know, um, kind of, you know, I was, I was bitter about it, which – it always was the MO with Case. Hey, if you play, you perform, you're going to play. He didn't have any, he didn't care who you were. Um, if you were on a 75% scholarship or you were a walk on, you know, he played you. If you, if you competed, you, and, and you went out there and did the job you played. And, uh, I wasn't. And, um, that was, was really selfish of me at the time. And I was ready to sign for really anything. And, uh, I remember, uh, we got eliminated at LSU and, uh, the draft was the next day and I didn't get drafted until the third day. Um, I was drafted in the 13th round. Everyone said, you know, the scouts, they like to talk you up sometimes. And uh, I was told I was going to go much higher than that. And then, um, you know, it went in the 13th round, and I was ready to sign. It was uh, three quarters because that's all I had left. It was one, one year of school left and, um, you know, numerical value. Um, it was agreed upon. Um, the next day, the guy, the scout called, said he was coming to Corvallis to sign me. He had the numerical value in the three quarters. And uh, – or, and two quarters of school. It was missing one. I was like, oh, you know, we agreed on three. They were like, oh, not a big deal. We'll go get this ironed out. Um, and then it was like a big deal. I was like, well, we're not going to come off what we agreed upon. I was like, that's, that's not what we agreed upon, though. Um, you know, I promised my parents I would finish my education. I need three quarters to do that. And uh, 
so it kind of went back and forth. And, you know, the thing that was really instrumental in that was um, the day I was drafted, they called and I had this uneasiness in my stomach right after, which would have been, should have been jubilation. And uh, I was, um, so I prayed. I was like, God, I'm not supposed to do this. It's the first time I felt this in my life. You know, I always wanted to be a big leaguer. I wanted to play pro ball. If I'm not supposed to do this, make it clear to me. And then that thing happens with the contract. And it was like, there was my sign. He was, he made it clear, but I was ignoring it. So I fought it, fought it for about a week every day. Um, and then I remember just sitting in my parents' house in Seattle, in Mercer Island, and going, I prayed about this. This is exactly it. I remember looking at my dad like, I'm going to go to Cape Cod now. I'm going to go see if I can go pitch for those guys again, and I want to start. And, you know, Casey called me into the office and told me, hey, we want you back. And I was kind of uneasy. And then uh, at this time we talked, and I was like, Case, I, I remember him telling me, I was like, I want an opportunity to start. And he's like, well, we got Jace Fry as a freshman All-American. We got Dan Child, who was – I'm going to Team USA this year. And we got Ben Wetzler, who threw great. There's really no spot for you. And I was like, I just want an opportunity to. That's all. And I, and I told him, I go, you just give me an opportunity, I'm going to take it. And I'm sure he rolled his eyes and said, okay, whatever. So I went out to Cape Cod and started starting. And really learned how to pitch with four pitches. And, uh, man, um, that was the best decision of my life to come back. And uh, sure enough, you know, Jason ended up meeting Tommy John. A spot opened up. And uh, it's just, you know, kind of the rest is history. I can't imagine if I didn't do that. So it was, it was a blessing. That is crazy that just them not wanting to pay for one quarter of school, already agreeing to pay two, and then that kind of led you, not kind of, but very fully led you back to Oregon State. Um, yeah. In that year then, it, it obviously was a lot different. The spot opened up in the rotation looking back on it, the things that you didn't even know you'd have the opportunity to do, thinking that you were going to leave, go play pro baseball, what did that lead to, even though a situation you didn't necessarily want to be in, both in terms of maybe your relationship with Pat Casey and family-wise? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you'd met Ashley yet by 2012. So you you would have never met Ashley had you just gone and signed. Oh, never would have met my wife. Um Never, I didn't start. I only made like three starts in college up until that point. And I went into the, the Blue Jays organization as a starter. I mean, so many things. I wouldn't have won a Pac-12 title. Uh, wouldn't have saw a teammate come to Christ. Who knows if I would have got my college degree that year. I mean, you know, so many different things happened. Um, but you know, the cool thing was, is that like, I remember once that kind of clicked that I was supposed to go back to school. And I remember I just told my dad, I'm going to call my coaching in Cape Cod and I'm going to tell him I need to start. If not, I'm going to, we got to find something else. And it was like, I just knew, I knew I was going to go pitch. I knew I was going to go be the, I, I knew I was going to be a starter. I knew we were going to go win a title. It just, there wasn't any questions. If I was going to play pro baseball after that, it was God's will. And, it, and if it, I was at peace with that, if it happened to happen, if it didn't, it didn't, but I knew what I needed. I knew what I was going to go do. Like the vision was just so clear and focused. I knew what I was going to do in the weight room on the mound, how I was going to go pitch with four pitches, learn how to pitch with four pitches. And it was just like, I was just on that path and I just knew it. And it was, uh, man, it was the negatives and how uncertain everything was looking back. It's kind of almost, you know, panic ridding. Like you're going, wow, amidst all of that, like that wasn't the smart choice per se, but indeed it was the best choice. And it was, I was so grateful for it. It is, yeah, that, that retrospect of seeing, oh, the decision I didn't want to happen turned out to be much, much better in the long run. I, I'm curious if there's a parallel in 2017. So by this point, you've been a pro for a few years now. 
uh, you're pitching in the major leagues. You end up getting demoted down to AAA. At the time, Ashley's eight months pregnant, so there's a lot of chaos, and you probably didn't want to have to be moving around and all that. It ended up working well. You came back to the big leagues and nearly pitched a no-hitter that same season. But in that point in 2017 where you got demoted, needed to tinker with some stuff, was there some parallels where you, where you realized, hey, in 2012, I didn't want to have to go back to Oregon State, but I did, and it worked out. Were, were there some similarities there where something you didn't want to happen resulted in more good than you realized? I mean, I don't know the full story, but yeah. how about 2017? No, completely. Um it was a tumultuous year. There was ups and downs. It was crazy. Um, you know, went from dominating the world in spring training, but really not having a foundation of who I was as a ball player, much less, um, you know, and just knowing that, hey, when I did get sent down, God had a plan that I knew what his calling was on my life. I knew what I was going to do in the future but I needed to be a faithful steward of today and tomorrow and just, but like not worry about tomorrow, but just focus on today. And when tomorrow comes, be a faithful steward of that and make the most of it. And it was hard seeing guys that I had come up with or come up after me and go dominate. And I'm sitting there, you know, pitching really well in AAA, but there's things that go beyond the box score that I need to get better at. And that's like, okay, okay, here we go. Let's do this. And then, that, 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 at the end of that year, Brad Osmus, who, uh, I loved playing for, he was a great manager, um, he really called me out, um, in the media to, because after a game against the Yankees, they gave up seven runs in like two or three innings. Just, um, got, it was a, it was a drubbing. I got, uh, I got crushed and, uh, told me I need to figure something out or they're going to make a decision in my future for me. And, um, I just, I remember that I had five days before my next start against Cleveland and, uh, I pitched, I threw a bullpen every single day leading up and I just revamped my delivery with my pitching coach, which was kind of crazy thinking about that, but it led to the foundation of where I am today. And three starts later after that, I go one out away from a no hitter, you know, one hitter, one hitter over the minimum and, uh, you know, perfect game type status. So it's a, it was, uh, very many parallels in that, but it was, that was a year of just so much growth and conviction and saying, am I, am I living by faith or am I living by sight? Cause you look around and you go, okay, I've got a five and a half ERA. I was in my third year in the big leagues. Um, what am I going to do? Is anything guaranteed next year? Absolutely not. But what am I called to? I know what I, I know what I can do and I know I'm on that path and I know the work I put in this year is going to lead me to that. How can I stay focused on that over the end of this season and the following months in the wintertime to stay convicted to that? And, um, you know, it's it's still something that goes on today where it's like, are you living by what's in front of your eyes or are you living by what you know in your heart and what you're called to? And, uh, you know, so many parallels in that with that. Yeah. Speaking of pulls at your heart and things that were have become important to you, in that span, 2017 or even the years prior, if someone had brought up in conversation for whatever reason, if Uganda came up in conversation, would you have, would that have piqued your interest? Oh, Uganda, or or at that point, you know, 2015, let's say a few years prior, would that have just been I, I don't know, just some random country I don't know about? Like, when did that hit home for you? Um, you know, it wasn't until that fall that Ashley and I, yeah, we really convicted. We're we're living in a bubble, you know, and uh, we're going we're we're helping our community here, but God's calling us to something bigger. So let's pray that, pray your bold prayer, knowing that he might pull us somewhere different, 
pull us away from baseball, pull us away from our comfort zone um, and how that looks. So we prayed that, and um, he called uh, Africa and Venezuela to go serve on my heart. And for my wife, it was Uganda. And figured out that's in Africa, and I was like, well, that's that was on my heart, and let's so let's go do this. So we actually, in the fall of 17, we booked a trip for the fall of 18 to go to Uganda, not knowing what was going to happen, but we knew God would show us. And uh, four months later, he made it very clear, and that's when we got the first call about Kingdom Home. And uh, it was like, wow, this is too divine to ignore. We have to we have to act on this, and uh, you know. Fast forward from 36 girls uh, in one home to now 156 children in four. Uh, it's it's pretty crazy to realize uh, to see how God has been working in Kingdom Home. Uh, what's you know uh, the nonprofit that Ashley and I started. So it's uh, it's it's pretty special. When you say got the call, uh, was there? I mean, I know that you and Ashley are are you know organizing and leading it. But was what other people were involved, or what call was that that helped kind of initiate the whole thing? Um, yeah, my wife worked for a nonprofit called Remember New at the time, um, and she had two months prior she had just stepped away because she really worked herself out of her role. And you know, we had a four-month-old child, so uh, she was just going to focus on that and see how God kind of led her. And um, her former boss, um, Carl Ralston, actually is the one who reached out to her and said, "Hey, we there's a lady who's in need. She has 36 girls in her care." Um, we want to take her in, but two days ago, we actually passed our board passed the mandate that we can't expand anymore or we're stretching ourselves too thin. And, uh, so if you want to partner with her, whether it's just on an individual level or, um, start a nonprofit, which I know you guys really wanted to, um, in some capacity, we'll go hand in hand with you in this and guide you because they were, they're, they're in, over 16 countries and have over 100 homes. They're 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 very well rooted in what they do, um, and that's kind of how it started. That was that first call, and it was like, gosh, we have to answer this call. It's it would be um, uh, unwise not to. So uh, we just did what we were, did what we were supposed to and, and moved in that. When I first heard about Kingdom Home, maybe 2019, it was at that point, you know, one house, 36 girls, I think it was. Now you've got three girls' houses and a boys' house. Tell me a quick snapshot of just the really important work that Kingdom Home is doing and how it's providing for those kids. Yeah. Um, so Kingdom Home, our goal is to end child sex trafficking through prevention. We want to meet the physical, emotional, spiritual, and educational needs of boys and girls uh, in our homes who are at risk of entering the, the sex trade. <laughs> so with that, um, we have we have four homes um, with house parents. Um, children are are either brought in because um, they don't have um, they're orphaned essentially, or um, just they're at risk. Um, you know, it's essentially like a uh, if they're at risk that they're they're still in contact with their family, but they live at the home um, is almost like a scholarship type thing because it's an opportunity where they can get a meal, they can get you know three meals a day, they can go to school. Um, they're growing up where a lot of these children didn't have families, now they have families, and uh, it's um, it's it's really really special. It's just giving children who are living um, uh, as children should, just pure joy. Um, no focus on, uh, 
maybe a past life that was painful, but knowing that they will have a future going forward. And Kingdom Home will provide for their, they're never, we're never going to age a child out. We're not an orphanage. Um, it's a family. Every house is, is actually a home with um, house parents. So, um, and with brothers and sisters, right? Um, and uh, never going to age a child out. We're in, and Kingdom Home will provide for vocational training or university um if they're able to get to that point down the road so we're we're trying to equip uh leaders of tomorrow to hopefully you know um make an impact in their way in their country and uh it's uh it's it's pretty special to see everyone get behind it and uh it's cool to see it continue to grow yeah that, that's really awesome and good on you for for ashley and yourself to and the other people who have involved michelle and everyone else um i don't want to take too much of your time yet for one more question about kingdom home is that okay yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Um, I don't know if you have, I don't know if like a success story is the right word. And obviously you don't want to, there's certain elements with privacy. You don't want to share kids names all the time, whatever it may be. It's whatever's appropriate. What sort of stories have you already had? It's only been two years. I mean, it's 2018 when you opened it. So there's plenty more stories in the future, I'm sure. But what have you already seen in the two years of kingdom at home existing, whether a a particular kid story, just kind of the types of things you see happening in these kids' lives that have already been impactful for you to see firsthand. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, yeah, we want to respect the children's privacy in that, but there's a, there's one story of, of a girl who's older in our home. Um, she's, she's one of the oldest ones. She's got a crazy background that she came from. And, uh, she, when I saw her last year, I've seen, I'm sorry, you know, I met, I met this girl two years ago, um, or three years ago now, it was 2018. And, uh, she was almost like a house mother, taking care of the younger girls in the house, um, caring for them, loving on them, um, truly being selfless. And, uh, um, this last, you know, 19, we got to go back and, uh, getting to talk to her again. She pulled me aside and, and said, you know, thank you for all that you're doing. It's not us. It's the Lord. It's so many people that have this call on their heart from around the world that are, you know, um, providing way. But she said, I want to make it. I want to do the same thing. I want to be a house parent. I want to impact lives. And it was kind of, that was kind of like, wow, that's so crazy. She's being impacted by these house parents that have such an impact on her life that are, um, you know, being selfless with their time, pouring into her. Um, and now, she wants to do the same for another generation or for younger children that are at risk. And that in itself is like, wow, that's, that's cool. Like we're, um, we're moving on the right path. Just going to continue to tread down it and know that, uh, some amazing things are going to happen and continue to happen. And so it's, uh, it's pretty cool hearing something like that. Yeah, those are those are the type of stories that I'm sure you do it for and are really cool to hear for everyone else who, who learns about Kingdom Home. So, um, Matt, thanks so much for the work you're doing and representing Oregon State Baseball. Good luck against Nick Madrigal and everyone else in major leagues <laughs> this year. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Josh. Well, like I said, I wanted someone special on for episode 100, and I think you can tell why Matt Boyd was uh, a pretty deserving candidate for that. Just really awesome what he's doing with Kingdom Home. If anything kind of tugged at your heartstrings and made you want to check out what he and Ashley are doing over in Uganda, and you want to play a role in that, you can check them out at 
kingdomhome.org. You can donate one time. You could sponsor a specific child, do a monthly thing, whatever works out for you. Uh, you can learn all about that at kingdomhome.org. Well, plenty more to come, and uh, the Beaver Tales documentary series, calling it Dynasty in the Woods, the Beaver Baseball documentary. Uh, Matt Boyd and a bunch of other former players will make brief appearances on there. A lot of the 2018 players, former coaches, 2018 coaches, and uh, media members, all that. So you'll get a really wide-ranging look at the Oregon State baseball program and some interesting stories, really compelling themes uh, that are you know coming from that program and the special people who have made their impact uh, at Oregon State. Well, until next time for episode 101, I've been your host, Josh Warden. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Podcast. Have a great day, everybody, and go Beavs!